dissonance is a lack of harmony between music notes. But this Dissonance podcast, this is about the lack of harmony in the world. Hey friends, how are you today? I've had so much coffee today. I'm so wound up. Listen, I was in the mirror this morning looking at myself and I have this vein that pops out of the side of my neck anytime that, you know, I yell, scream, sing, pretty much anything. And this vein was like throbbing. I was standing there not moving and I can see this vein in my neck throbbing from the amount of caffeine that is running through it. I'm so wound up. Barista. Yes, yes. I'll I'll have another round of espressos over here for my friends. Meaning just me. Okay, okay. So enough about me. Um, How are you guys? How are you? Did you listen to the episode last week on Tom Dooley? If you're here today, right now, this week, and you didn't tune into last week, I would highly suggest you do since this is part two. Part one's pretty important. (laughs) Just a suggestion. You know, what do I know? Uh, Last week, I was telling you guys, too, about my sweet little whip I got from Two Brothers Bicycle Company in Lewistown, Pennsylvania. And listen, I I gave her a name. I had to, okay? She's way too beautiful to be running around the neighborhood without a name. So my bike's name is now known as Betts. So I just feel like she's classy, classy name. I have a classy bike. It's a vintage retro style. So I'm, uh, I'm riding bets around to the neighborhood. That didn't come out right. Okay. Um, anyway, I'll be posting a picture of me with bets on my Facebook page. It's the Dissonance Podcast Facebook page. You can look it up on Facebook and you'll see my picture there. Ah! Um, no, but seriously, you should head over to the Facebook page because I put teasers news, any business stuff, extra things that I might not have put in the podcast, I might head over there and and share all my secrets. So uh, head over there. But I will be posting a picture of myself with my bike because I was telling you guys about it and how much I love it and the bell and me ringing the bell. The bell and I have a special bond. Okay. And also while you're on Facebook and you're in that Facebook world, go over to Two Brothers Bicycle Company's Facebook page, okay? And hit that pretty little like button to stay up to date on their specials, sales, and news. And don't forget, for all your bicycle needs, for new and refurbished bikes to accessories and apparel, Two Brothers Bicycle Company is the only way to go. Check them out in person at 624 Valley Street in Lewistown, Pennsylvania or on the World Wide Web at www.twobrothersbikeco.com, twobrothersbikeco.com. And you can check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks so much for partnering with me on today's episode. And now we've all been waiting for this moment. Part two of the Tom Dooley story. Obviously, uh, her dad is worried at this point, and he's like, something isn't right. You know, something sinister is afoot. So people in the community gather to search for her, but they can't find anything leading to her whereabouts. And it goes unsolved for about a month, but... 
they find that missing lead rope from the mare eventually. J.W. Winkler, who is a neighbor and he's also a com- community member, he says, quote, There was a general search made for weeks after her disappearance. The neighbors were all out, formed a search line like a line of battle. We searched in sight of the Dula house, never saw him engaged in search. We searched in sight of Bates place or the old shop place. I saw the rope near there, tied around a dogwood tree. Didn't find it myself, but I saw it soon after, end quote. So rumors go flying like it's Tom. Tom is the one that did it. He killed her. And all these rumors go flying through town. Okay, so Tom gets scared and he decides he's going to get the heck out of Dodge. I mean, Elkville. And he heads to Tennessee. Coincidentally, or (laughs) is it? Pauline Foster takes off to Tennessee too during the same time. And no one really knows why. I mean, we do, but we don't. Wink, wink. They don't know that we know they know we know. Did you guys watch the Friends reunion? Did you? Tom is fleeing to Tennessee, and he gets a job at the farm of someone he knows from the war, Colonel James Grayson. And by the time authorities catch up with him at the farm of Colonel Grayson, Tom's already gone. Colonel Grayson is like, hey, can I hang out with you guys? He wants to tag along, like, on this chase to find Tom. And authorities are like, uh, yeah, hop in, loser. So they go off into Tennessee looking for him, and they do end up finding him eventually in Pandora, Tennessee. Colonel Grayson convinces Tom to surrender, which he does, and they all head back to Grayson's farm for the night. In the morning, they plan to take Dula back to North Carolina. While this little fun chase um, after Tom was happening in Tennessee, back in Wilkes County, North Carolina, Pauline had returned from her little mysterious trip to Tennessee, too. And a friend of hers, like, jokingly says to her, you must have left town because you killed Laura Foster. <laughs> like, LOL, JK. And Pauline says, completely stoned face, yes, I and Dula killed her. And I ran away to Tennessee. Okay, Pauline. (laughs) It's a really funny thing for you to say. Also makes me really uncomfortable. This is where the story gets messy because Pauline is super annoying, right? But some sources said she was arrested first and then started talking about what she knew. But I couldn't find any solid proof if that's how it happened or not. So I think personally... They thought she was a suspect, but when she offered information and was willing to, like, work with them, she started pointing the finger to Tom, and maybe they just thought, like, yeah, she's innocent. I mean, we'll just, we'll just go for Tom. It's the obvious choice, right? June 18th, 1866. They end up sadly finding Lara Foster's body in a shallow grave near Bates Place, but actually closer to Tom Dula's home. She was 22 years old so young, and it's so sad. J.W. Winkler says, referring to the site of the grave, quote, the smell of the earth was offensive and different from that of the surrounding earth. I know Laura Foster. I saw the dead body. I thought from her cheekbones, from her teeth and her dress, that it was her body. It had on a homespun dress 
which I thought I knew. And friends, it was Lara Foster. She was identified by the gap in her teeth and the dress that she was wearing by her father, Wilson Foster. Now, Dr. Carter, the only doc in town apparently, who treated all these people for STDs, he was the examiner of Lara's body. You've heard of a one-horse town? This is a one-doctor town, okay? One-doc town. He said, quote, I saw and examined the dead body of a female at the spot where it was found. There was a cut through her clothing and, taking off her clothes in a corresponding position, on the left breast there was a cut through into the body between the third and fourth ribs, end quote. Lara Foster was killed by a single stab wound through the heart. It was reported that she had been killed at Bates Place, but then was later moved and buried closer to Doula's house. Which, you know, guys, I'm not a murderer, but I feel like if I was, I probably wouldn't move, you know, the evidence closer to me. Rookie mistake, Tommy boy. The lead rope and some clothing were found near Bates Place, so there was evidence, but it was circumstantial. And if you read the testimony in this case, this whole town could have, they could have easily conspired against Dula, or they could have just lied about anything. And I'm getting sort of the Salem witch trial vibes. Like, you know, if you don't like your neighbor, you can just like tell a little white lie and then have them burned at the stake, you know, <laughs> like no big deal. The testimony is a lot and it can be very confusing. Basically, a ton of people seem... They claim to see Tom here, there, like everywhere. One time he's seen asking for a refill of a jug of whiskey uh, before the murder and then supposedly asking for digging tools from the Meltons. And some claim to see him walking in the direction of Bates Place, Lara Foster's house, and the Melton homestead. A lot of this testimony, too, is a lot of, I overheard someone tell someone that they said this. So major hearsay. It's speculated that Lara Foster was also pregnant at the time of her murder. Some sources say that she was, while others say that it was something added to this story um, just to enhance its impact. The medical examiner, Dr. Carter, never mentioned in written documents whether she was or wasn't. So it's hard to know for sure. It would also be speculation to who the father would be um, if, in fact, the rumors or the accounts of people in the town calling Lara, Lara Foster a, quote, round-heeled girl, they, by calling her that, that's their opinion. Because we don't really know for sure, right? But that was her reputation in the town. And so if that reputation is, in fact, based on truth we would have to speculate if Tom was even the father. Shortly after Tom is arrested, Ann Melton is also arrested for conspiracy to commit murder. This is mostly because of Pauline Foster's testimony or her telling the police that Ann had something to do with it. And she even claims that Ann and Tom, or I can't remember if it was Ann and Tom or just Ann, actually had showed her where Lara was buried and they had said to her basically like if you tell anybody you'll be next so based on that suspicion Ann Melton is arrested for conspiracy to commit murder the initial trial date is set for October 1st 1866 and this trial is for both Tom and Ann at the same time 
So at the time of this trial, it starts gaining national attention all around the country. It especially gets interesting when the former governor and colonel of the 26th North Carolina Regiment, Zebulon B. Vance, joins in and becomes Tom Dula's defense. Okay, We're in the South, so we're going to call Zebulon Zeb. And he decides to just take, take on Dula's case pro bono. It's free, free, free. Zeb V. Vance is a colorful character in his own right, okay? He's really a powerful man in post-Civil War era, despite the fact that he was actually on parole and allowed to continue to practice law until President Andrew Johnson eventually pardoned him in March of 1867. So, was this pro bono a personal debt or favor, or is it like a power move for Zeb because he's losing some of his favor in the community because he uh, was previously arrested and then he was out on parole? A lot of people tried to say that Zeb did this because he knew Tom from the war, which he could have, but some people claimed it was because they were in the same regiment together. But remember, Tom was in the 42nd, but you know who was in the 26th? James Melton. Strange. So when Vance arrives, it's a huge deal, okay? He's kind of like a celebrity. And this is like a Scott Peterson O.J. Simpson-sized trial. Everyone is watching and waiting for justice. At the first trial, Vance requests, Zeb Vance requests the trial to be moved from Wilkes County to the nearby Iredell County because he needed an impartial jury. And since, again, this is a small, you know, community with nearly everyone related somehow they all have their own theories so he wants it to be moved and the judge does grant that request he also wants Anne and tom tried separately and the judge also grants that request so it's moved to statesville iredell county north carolina during the trial, all the juicy deets were told about the pock, the infidelity, and Tom's threats about wanting to kill Lara for giving him this awful disease. In the 1800s, Statesville was a super small town with a population of about 95, so really, really small. When the trial took place, it was said that nearly 3,000 people gathered just for this trial. Pauline was the principal witness for the prosecution in the trial. And seriously, though, can we trust anything Pauline says at this point? She didn't tell anyone about her having the pock. She sleeps with Tom, runs away to Tennessee, comes back, tells her friend that she killed Laura and she's with Dula. She was probably sweep, sleeping with Tom herself and is, you know, maybe a jealous lover. Pauline claims in the trial to see Dula the day of the murder with digging tools. But witnesses also say that they saw Pauline sitting on Tom Dula's lap at some point. So is it a lover's quarrel? But they're all lovers, really, and they're just all quarreling. Other witnesses in the trial included Dr. Carter, uh, Mrs. Mary Dula, Tom's mom. And it's really sad because she talks about uh, kissing him on the cheek while he was in jail. And she also talks about the other son's that she lost in the war, like kind of pleading, like, please just let him live because I've lost 
I've lost everything. Lottie Foster, who was Anne's mom, uh, she is also allowed to witness, which like who let her on the stand? I just, I feel like it's a conflict of interest. They're being tried. Anne and Tom are being tried separately now, but Lottie's obviously going to try to point it to Tom because it, it just, she's going to try to point it to Tom to get Anne off the hook is what I'm thinking. My theory. Don't come after me. So um, she also gets to testify. So let's just take a pause real quick here and, and let's look at all these people and their motives. So first off, it could actually just be Tom Dula who did this, who in like a revenge killing of getting syphilis, kills Lara Foster uh, either by himself or with help. My second theory is Pauline the whole time, okay? Because she knows Tom is sleeping with Lara and she's jealous and she wants her gone. Third theory, it's Anne Melton because... She's had a relationship going with Tom for years and years and years. And maybe she feels like, you know, they feel like they're the ones they can't quit. They just love each other and they keep coming back to each other and they got each other's backs. So maybe Anne helped him. Or, fourth theory, it was all three. Maybe they all had a hand in it, but to what degree, we don't know. These are just my theories. So if you disagree, it's totally okay we're all allowed to have our own opinions. On October 21st, 1866, the jury decides a guilty verdict for Tom. But Zeb Vance was like, no, 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 no. He appealed it to the Supreme Court of North Carolina and ordered a new trial. There was just like delay after delay to just keep this thing drawn out as long as they could. But eventually the second trial begins on January 20th, 1868. So two whole years later, okay? Once again, Tom was convicted as guilty. But this time, the North Carolina Supreme Court held up the conviction and Tom Dula is set to hang. Hours before his hanging, Tom Dula writes a letter basically saying that he did it and he takes full responsibility, leaving Anne completely off the hook. Really, all the evidence that convicted Tom was circumstantial and based on the untrustworthy testimony of Pauline Foster and others in the town who may or may have not been conspiring. Just saying. Because of the letter Tom wrote before his hanging, and Melton will basically be acquitted and allowed to live life as normal. But here's where I'm hung up. I read some documents in my research that Tom was illiterate. And I really want to know who actually wrote this letter. It was said that the writing and grammar was so good that it was, it was too good for Tom. Okay? Unless the Union prison taught him how to read and write while he was captured. Did his lawyer Vance write it for him? I looked everywhere for his enlistment papers, guys, like internet sleuths. If you, f if you can find his enlistment papers, just find it and then find me and let me know. Because otherwise, I feel like his illiteracy is a legend. If we could find the enlistment papers, we could see, did he sign his name with an X? 
did he actually sign it? We could also compare handwriting analysis, but I couldn't get that far from where I'm at right now. So this is where my next theory comes in though. Remember when I said that Zebulon Vance served with James Melton in the war in the same regiment? Well, my theory is that Vance took the case to try to get Anne and Tom off scotch-free because of his war buddy, James Melton. When it was evident that Vance wasn't going to win this one, he persuaded Tom to write a letter, or Vance wrote the letter, like on behalf of Tom, freeing Anne of any responsibility of the crime. Of course, from the persuasion of her husband, James. Again, just a theory. Did Tom cover for Anne because he loved her? Or he felt like it was the right thing to do because back in these times, it really wouldn't have been very proper to see a lady sit in prison or be hanged. Were they in prison and hanged? Yes, women were, but it was kind of thought of as like frowned upon, I guess. I guess it was better for men to be hanged than women. I don't know, but that's kind of their thinking back then. I think it's important to note that Tom and Anne may have enjoyed different lovers. And actually, Anne was arrested twice. But prior to this trial, Anne had been arrested twice for, quote, indulged illicit intercourse, end quote, with others besides doula. So I think that's a really nice way to say prostitution. Uh, But their relationship started when Tom was like 12 or 13. Okay, so I'm thinking even though he's, you know, this libertine and and Anne is, you know, quote unquote, round healed. Anne was the one that he just couldn't quit and he loved her and maybe she loved him too. And maybe he covered for her because of that. May 1st, 1868, Tom Dula was hung in Statesville. The folklore says that Tom Dula rode to his execution in a wagon, sitting atop of his empty coffin, playing the banjo, and writing the song that we now know as Tom Dooley today. This is fiction. It just makes the story better, though. Tom was a musician, but he played fiddle, and he was a drummer in the army. He was never documented as actually being a banjo player. He allowed to address the large. He was allowed to address the large crowd at his death. These this whole three thousand people that had come to the town, and it was said that he had talked for more than an hour, and he just sort of rambled. Which you could look at that, and it could fuel your thought that he's sort of narcissistic, um, and he wants his time. Or you could look at it as that he's a young man that is scared, and he's dragging out his death as long as he can because he's terrified. And it really could be a little bit of both. His last words were, quote, You have such a nice clean rope. I ought to have washed my neck. End quote. He said it to the man that was manning his gallows. Yes, dirty Tom, maybe you should have. Just kidding. I think I really think Tom could have been innocent here. Anne was acquitted, as I said, and she lived for another seven years or so until she died of injuries that she sustained in a carriage accident. So, I mean, you could say justice was kind of served for her in the end. James Melton eventually remarried. No one really knows what happened to Pauline. She probably just stayed in the area. Um, Tom Dula is buried in Wilkes County, North Carolina. And in a musical twist of irony... 
Doc Watson. If you guys like bluegrass country music, okay, then you know it's Doc Mama Flippin' Watson, y'all. But if you don't know Doc Watson, he is a seven-time Grammy Award-winning folk and bluegrass artist. He's also received a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2004. He grew up in Wadaagua, North Carolina, in Deep Gap. Remember, this is where Pauline Foster was from. When she traveled to Elkville to Wilkes County, she was coming from Wadaagua County. He was born in 1926. A side note on Doc Watson, he had an infection at a very young age that left him blind. And he continued to go on with music and be an absolutely phenomenal musician. His story is a kind of miraculous rag to riches tale all on its own. Honestly, go look up Doc Watson after this podcast if you don't know who he is. But Doc Watson's grandmother, okay, her name was Betsy Triplett Watson. She was a friend of Ann Melton's, and she personally heard her deathbed confession that she had killed Laura. As Ann Melton was dying, she had allegedly said to Betsy Triplett Watson, if she were to get better, She had something to say about Tom's hanging, but as long as there was a chance that she may get better, then she wouldn't dare say a word. Doc Watson said, quote, and you can guess what it was, end quote. Doc recorded a version of Tom Dooley, his own version, from what he knows. And Doc's version of the story is that Ann Melton stabbed Lara while she was in Tom's arms. Furthermore, he said Tom was of noble character and he protected Anne by forever keeping his silence. Speaking of great blind musicians, J.B. Grayson, the descendant of Colonel James Grayson, who helped to bring Tom back to North Carolina, and a man named Henry Witters, recorded a version of Tom Dooley that included seven verses, so it had more details about the murder than some of the other versions that were out there. That version um, by J.B. Grayson, the descendant of Colonel James Grayson, was released under Victor label in 1929. J.B. Grayson was also legally blind as well, so that's, that's pretty incredible. Kingston's trio, their version was best known really because it was a major hit. It popped up on the charts in the 60s and it inspired the movie The Legend of Tom Dooley featuring Michael Landon, good old Charles, Good old Paul from Little House on the Prairie. Da, 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 oh, and he also was Little Joe on Bonanza. <laughs> Kingston's Trio was meant for more mainstream radio back in the day when it was released. It uh, has some really great vocals. They do amazing harmony. Um, and Tom Dooley was actually one of the first songs that I learned to play claw hammer on banjo. Uh, so it has kind of a special meaning to me. One of the reasons I really wanted to cover this, like I mentioned, there's many versions of the song because there's so many different versions of this story. So this is doc's version. Hang your head, Tom Dooley, hang your head and cry. You killed poor Lori Foster and now you're bound to die. You left her by the roadside where you begged to be excused. You left her by the roadside, then you hid her clothes and shoes. 
Hang your head, Tom Dooley. Hang your head and cry. You killed poor Lori Foster, and now you're bound to die. You took her on the hillside, for to make her your wife. You took her on the hillside, and there you took her life. You dug the grave four feet long, and you dug it three feet deep. You rolled the cold clay over her and tromped it with your feet. Hang your head, Tom Dooley. Hang your head and cry. You killed poor Lori Foster. Now you're bound to die. Trouble, oh, it's a rolling through my breast. As long as I'm a living, boys, they ain't gonna let me rest. I know they're gonna hang me. Tomorrow I'll be dead. Though I've never harmed a hair on poor little Lori's head. Hang your head, Tom Dooley. Hang your head and cry. You killed poor Lori Foster. Now you're bound to die. In this world and one more than reckon where I'll be. If it wasn't for Sheriff Grayson, I'd be in Tennessee. You can take down my old violin and play it all you please. For this time tomorrow, boys, it'll be no use to me. Hang your head, Tom Dooley. Hang your head and cry. You killed poor Lori Foster. Now you're bound to die. The memorial marker is on State Highway 268 on the left when traveling east in Caldwell County. Uh, Laura Foster's grave is located on the other side of that marker on State Highway 268, about 300 feet from the marker. And that, my sweet peas, is the sad and tragic tale behind the song Tom Dooley. Tell me, what's your theory? Was it really Tom? Or was it Pauline? You know, I never did like her. Maybe it was Anne because, you know, she did kind of confess to it. Or was it someone totally different that completely got away with it? Let me know. Find the Dissonance podcast page on Facebook and join the discussion of who really did it. Thank you for joining, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you come back for more music and mysteries next week. A big thank you again to Two Brothers Bicycle Company, located at 624 and Valley Street in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, for sponsoring this episode and partnering with me on bringing you this episode, which has been so fun to create. Guys, thank you so much. Please check them out on their website at www.twobrosbikeco.com. And if you head over to the Dissonance podcast page, not only will you find their Facebook page, but you can also enter into a giveaway. I am giving away a $10 iTunes gift card and a t-shirt from Two Brothers Bicycle Company to a lucky winner All you have to do is share the post and like it and like the Dissonance podcast page. So head over there, guys, and thanks again for listening. Papa, you gonna die.